chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be in chapters 1 through 3, like most of the time in this series. If you weren't here last week, we had uh, concluded with a, a book study over 1 Corinthians a few weeks ago. And so last week, we started a new study on the topic of Imago Dei and how us being created in the image of God uh, really affects uh, so many different areas in our life. And so we kind of gave an overview of what that means and looks like through our creation, fall, and redemption. Uh, however, today we're going to be talking about how that works with three different areas, uh, our vocation and work, our freedom, and our technology. And as I mentioned that, uh, some of you may ask, what does that have to do with Imago Day? Um, uh, I mean, just think about it. If you work 40 hours a week for 40 years of your life, that means that you will put more than 80,000 hours at a job during your lifetime. And that doesn't even include the thousands of hours that we spend in school preparing for work or training for our future vocation or the thousands of hours that we spend traveling to and for work. You put a lot of time into vocation. And of course, with that vocation, you are interacting with a lot of different people. You will spend the most time outside of your family with your coworkers in your lifetime. And so these are the neighbors that God has sent you to love, created it in God's image. Obviously, it has a lot to do with your work. Whether you hate your job or you absolutely love it, even maybe potentially idolize it, we have a mandate from Imago Day with it. Topics of freedom and authority, both in structures like work and school and government, they are of major importance. And we see how this has to do with Imago Dei as we've seen great oppression of people created in God's image, determined by both freedom and authority in such delegated systems. And last of all, we know that technology and everything from our smartphones to our online worlds to websites, social media and streaming services, Services, they have all been both great sources of creativity, mission, and entertainment for some, while it has also been very much serving as enslavers, as time wasters, as giving many people social anxiety, depression, and a source of deceit for many, many people, again, created in the image of God. All three of these topics, these issues, has to do with our view and treatment of Imago Dei, and they are all applicable to the three truths that we went over last week, creation, fall, and redemption, rooted in Imago Dei through something that we call dominion. So again, in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, first we see in these areas how humanity created in the image of God Humanity created in the image of God is under the authority of God and given dominion over all the earth. Now remember, this is before sin has entered into the world. We know God has given us some of these things in good, good ways for us and other humans because as he created us in his image, we are under the authority of God and we are given dominion over all the earth. Look at verse 26, Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We focused on that a lot last week. And then right after it says, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And there's that word again, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, verse 29, and God said, Behold, I have given you, he's given creation, he's given his humanity, he's given us as people, every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And so God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Part of humanity created in the image of God is that we are to represent and be like God when subduing the earth and taking dominion of or ruling over creation. And although that word has gotten a bad rap, dominion, for its use in history with violence and destruction in such rule, we see it used with sins like violence and destruction take place it is not a bad word. We should redeem that word. The Hebrew word uh, rada in this passage of dominion, it carries that idea of ruling, of subduing, of exercising that dominion in a good godly way that helps society flourish and advance. And that is why this affects the three things that we will address today. Work, freedom, and technology. Look at Chapter 2, verse 15, it's also on the screen besides me. It says, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Mankind was created to work and cultivate. That is a good thing. It is fruitful. It is a reflection of God and his work and creation as image bearers of him. That's why it's called the cultural mandate. God brought into being a flawless creation, an ideal platform, and then created humanity to continue his creation project. And remember, God could have created everything imaginable and he could have filled the earth himself. But instead, God chose to create humanity to work alongside him to actualize the universe's potential, to participate in his own work, in creation, only man is given a task by God to rule and subdue and have dominion over the earth. That God worked by bringing order out of the chaos. And we, and he gives us that ability to continue that work today as part of that cultural mandate. In fact, if you think about it, it's quite remarkable that God trusts us to carry out this amazing task of building on the good earth that he has given us, advancing through our work that God brings forth, everything from food and drink to products and services, from knowledge and beauty and organizations and communities, growth and health to give praise and glory to God. And remember, this includes the advancement of civilization and society. 
The world is not a bad thing. And sometimes Christians have this mindset of that. We forget that there's going to be a new heavens and earth. We look forward to heaven so much, but you forget that everything that we have on earth is connected to the new heavens. And society and everything that we do, we're going to be continuing to work, but just without the fall, without sin, and all those ways. Progress in these things are inherently good. Created to do this before the fall when God said it was good. And so us being created, reflecting him and doing this, it is very good. And this does include technology. You talk to some Christians and it is of the devil. And for some, according to their own personal convictions and or weaknesses, it really is. But that doesn't mean that technology is sinful for everyone. In fact, I really do believe it can be a great resource and tool to rule over creation and subdue the earth, to work hard in advancing society for the common good, the glory of God, and even the Great Commission. Work provides dignity to humanity because humans working reflects the image of God. And here's the thing. That also comes with great freedom and structures of authority, both in society and the delegation of authority in work. As we see, look at Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 through 20. We'll go through this verse by verse. We're going to have freedom and we're going to have authority and delegation of authority. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 shows freedom with rules and authority. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God given freedom and protection through His good authority is shown here. It's shown here. Before sin entered into the world, God gave us a ton of freedom, but he still had in his authority rules for protection. It's tempting for me to think that the government is of the devil. Well, what's the two purposes of government? Administering good laws and protection of citizens while bringing justice against evil. That is exactly what is described in verses 16 and 17 as Abraham Kuyper has excellently pointed, pointed out before. Of course, the difference was God can be trusted. And many of us don't feel like government can be trusted. However, as we studied in Romans 13 this past November, God has placed government over us, even unbelieving government, to be used in those ways, to exercise those two things, administering good laws, protection of citizens, and justice against evil. God-given authority to do God's work at times. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. We're going to skip this. We'll get to that in two weeks. Don't worry. Verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there is not found a helper fit for him. 
See, a crucial aspect of relationship modeled by God himself is that delegation of authority. God delegated the naming of the animals to Adam and the transfer of authority was genuine. You see in verse 19, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name, which is always a very interesting conversation if you have young children, right? If you have young kids, they will soon ask, why, who, what, why is this the name of that animal? Be like, well, it's Adam's fault, okay? And then when you have to go around that, like, uh, it's just really complicated. But you see in this delegation, as in any other form of relationship, we give up some measure of our power and independence, and we take the risk of letting others' work affect us. In fact, much of the recent development in fields of leadership and management, it's all come as of lately in the form of how to do this well, how to empower workers, how to foster teamwork, and backlash to the recent distrust of one person just bossing everyone around with all the power. But that type of foundation, that type of development with others, teamwork, it's been in Genesis all along, that delegation of authority, though Christians have not always noticed it. And a great example of this, somebody actually from our church that actually, if you want to talk more about how God can use you in your work in this way, talk to Chris Jones. He's one of our community group leaders here, uh, works with college and young adults, and he has uh, like 25 pages of his own written resources on this specific subject. In fact, he uh, went through a summer study with college and young adults on this. And he would even share, if you think about the world and the logistics for us to survive as humans today, we all depend on each other doing that work. We all need each other. In fact, Chris, as I'd mentioned, he is an engineer. He likes to design and build things. That is a reflection of God in him. God is the ultimate designer and builder, but he uses him in his image to be able to do some of that. And so when he's solving a complex engineering problem or working through the geometry constraints for, in his field, a new dam, he brings order to raw materials to create something that will benefit society. And as he does that, he is dependent on others. He actually joked with the college and young adults and said, now, if I was the one that had to do the agriculture, had to like do, kill the animals, make it into food, do the farming, like he's like, my whole family would die, okay? That is not my gift. I'm not gonna be able to do that. I'm gonna do what God has created me to do, provide, and I love doing it. And at the same time, he can be able to while other people are doing what they're called and able to work and do. And we all depend on each other. And in that cultivation, whether it's farming or technology, there is beautiful and fruitful work. A word about beauty is in order with this. God's work is not only productive, but it should be, as Genesis 3, 6 says, a delight to the eyes. This is not surprising since people being in the image of God are inherently beautiful and their work before the fall is inherently beautiful as well. In fact, a professor at Southeastern Seminary, Karen Swallow Pryor, had said this, where we place beauty on our list of priorities reflects what we understand about what beauty means in being human. The ability to appreciate it and cultivate it reflects our nature as beings made in the image of God, the creator, and the source of all beauty. It's a good question to ask ourselves if whether we are working more productively and beautifully. History is full of examples of people whose Christian faith resulted in amazing accomplishments in which Connor will speak on more when we get to creativity in the arts in like three weeks. So what happened? 
Well, just like we learned last week, depravity by the fall of man is what happened. And how did it affect all of these areas? Work, freedom, technology. Well, depravity by the fall of man, as we see in Genesis 3, it corrupts our view of authority and the advancement of society. It corrupts our view of authority and the advancement of society. We believe human flourishing is actively obeying that cultural mandate. That's what will best advance society and civilization. And part of that view and now work has been corrupted and distorted by sin and the fall of man. In fact, Francis Schaeffer said, fallen man has dominion over nature, but he uses it wrongly. The Christian is called upon to exhibit this dominion, but exhibit it rightly, treating the thing as having value itself and then exercising dominion without being destructive. How do we see in the fall how it has corrupted, how it has tainted and distorted our actual view and our work? Well, first you see in chapter 3, verse 14, it says this, as we see depravity in work and technology. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your lives. Now look at three verses later, verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, in this image of gardening that Adam was tasked to, to work that garden, to keep it and advance it. Now his work, just like many of ours, is hard. Thorns and thistles will get in the way. He will sweat and he will toil just to eat. What was supposed to be productive, fruitful, and beautiful now is hard we can use this theme of the thorns and thistles impacting gardening to see how the fall has affected all types of work. Like if you're a gardener, you know weeds are your arch enemy. They get in the way. They reduce the output of the garden and must continually be dealt with. All work just like that will have thorns and thistles since we live in a fallen world. We will have difficulty with co-workers. Things will get in the way of work. Our work itself will have difficult times. There will be resistance. Work that was designed to be fulfilling is now frustrating. Work that was designed to be purposeful feels pointless. And work that was designed to be selfless has become selfish and for some has even become an idol. As a result of sin, we tend to either overvalue work to the neglect of our health, our families, and even the church. While to the other side of the spectrum, we can undervalue work in a culture that fosters the unbiblical ideal of laziness and glorifies in the ideal of retirement. And as Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert says in their great book, The Gospel at Work, 
part of those thorns and thistles is how we have made work either into an idol or we have become idle in our work. Some of you may remember this from a series we did a few years ago that we actually had to cut right in the middle of it because it was right when a lockdown had happened in March of 2020. But one of the last sermons that we had at Garden Springs Elementary, we talked about this. For some of you, you've turned work into an idol and it is now the primary object of your passions, your desires, your energy and love and you are worshiping your job or what you are trying to achieve, the recognition you want to receive or will receive in your job, and the most important relationships in life, from friends to family to God, is suffering because of it. That is a result of sin, a fallen world. Our work should not be an idol put above God and the people that should be above it. While some of you, you don't deal with that. Instead, you are idle, I-D-L-E, in your work as you fail to give any attention toward it, as you despise it or generally neglect your responsibilities to work as if you are working for the Lord and giving glory to Him. That is because of the fall. We also see here in Genesis 3, depravity, how sin has affected freedom and authority. Look at verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said to Adam and Eve, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand, take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword. This is the type of angel. I share this on social media. My uh, youngest daughter, six, she wants to be matching costumes for Halloween, and she wants to be matching angels, okay? This is going to be the angel I'm going to be, okay? Flaming sword with it. That turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. As you see here, there's no more God-given freedom and protection through his good authority. It's gone. We can have that again. Of course, we'll get to that through Christ. We now have sinful authority and power. Some of that's wrong sinful reactions toward authority. Church, that was me. Like before I ever came into a relationship with Christ, I was a little wannabe anarchist, okay? I was, I mean, I'm serious when I say that. Like in middle school, I'm like, Spray painting and graffitiing and uh, uh, just desecrating anything I can, desk and everything else with big anarchy signs, okay? Like, I was the one that, like, like, part of it was a little bit of rebellion against my parents, every teenager goes through, okay? Part of it was music I listened to, and part of it was just me and personality. There's a reason why, for me, I'm bent toward libertarianism, even though I don't agree with everything with it. I just, like with authority, have had hard time in those ways. And so as a lost, punk, rebellious middle schooler, I was really against authority. I mean, like, you know how every kid rebels against their parents? I'm the one that, like, when my parents told me to go cut the grass, I was so upset, how dare they tell me to go cut the grass, okay? So I'm cutting the grass, and I'm listening on my cassette tape headphones. That's how long ago this was. Rage Against the Machine, okay? Rage Against the Machine. You can tell what type of music that is, right, okay? And so, like, 
there, there's a song that's saying, beep you, I won't do what you tell me, okay? And I'm listening over and over and over again. So then I start in my grass, cutting the grass, I start cutting out, like mowing out cuss words to my parents, okay? That's what I did, okay? And I will tell you this, thank you, Jesus, my dad was a new Christian, okay? Because BC of my dad would have whooped me, okay? A.D. was a little bit more gracious, although I was surely punished. That was my view on all things of authority in life. And you may call that an extreme teenage rebellion phase. You may be right, but the fall has caused us all to have such distrust and rebellion of God-given authority ruined from what he originally purported in Imago Day. And as I go through this, remember... One's temptation, weakness, and sin may not be another's in this area. There could be someone in here that they are that anarchist at heart for any and every authority structure while the person sitting right in front of them or behind them, they will submit and they will obey to any and every type of authority, including the sinful authority, which is just as wrong. In fact, because of the fall, very quickly, these four things are tempting for some and tempting for others. Again, rebelling against authority, being submissive to authority that leads you to sin, idolizing power and authority because of our sinful hearts. We now want to be in that position to be God and have such power and authority, oppress people, cheat to get our ways, or idolizing such freedom to the point where, we're, again, we're not submissive to what God has given us in authority structures in our life. We idolize our freedom to an extent that we are disrespecting, disobeying what we should be obeying in authority. And again, that's different for every person, but the fall has caused that. And last we see in this subject is then the fall and depravity and what should be a good fruitful thing in the cultural mandate and technology and us advancing society as we have because of that, but the fall and sin affecting how we view and how we use technology as well. And listen, I don't know if there's a greater example of this than this past year when we saw famed creator Elon Musk reveal his robots. How many of you guys have seen this? The maker of Tesla and sending people out to space has now created a robot that at 5'8", 125 pounds, and a max speed of five miles per hour is supposed to help us do kind of common day labor and work. And when he came out with a press release of these robots, he even said this, quote unquote, we're setting it such that it, that it is at a mechanical level, a physical level, that the average person can run away from it and most likely overpower it. Listen, if you have to say in your famed press statement of your launching robots into society that we can have to create it so that we can most likely overpower it, there is something wrong, right? I mean, I want full assurance that I can beat this thing up. I've seen AI, I've seen Mitchells versus the machines, and for you to even have to mention this shows depravity and technology. I know everyone's already thinking it, but I can't even believe he had to say that, right? 
So the average person can run away or overpower it. So that's pretty much us saying also we are sacrificing the children and the weak to our future robotic overlords, okay? That's real ethical right there. But seriously, technology dehumanizes to a certain extent because of the fall. We know and see this. We're not going to go in detail. We talked about this as we went in the, through the, the, the chapter in 1 Corinthians about sexual immorality, but pornography, that dehumanizes the act and view of it. Screens replacing physical human interaction and social community. Social media giving us a false identity and view of ourselves. Being that keyboard warrior, having that courage to say stuff that you probably shouldn't say and would never ever say face to face to someone. Forgetting that there is an actual human being on the other side of the phone and screen, but not caring and attacking and slandering and hating away. Technology has sadly often entertained and isolate us. I was talking even this past week to a high school teacher about her seeing that and, and, and students even this past week. We know that. We see that. We feel that. There's a secret false world that has been created because of technology that's dehumanizing. I don't know if you guys saw this, but just it was sometime in the last few years, Planned Parenthood created a health, a sexual health chatbot called Roo. Planned Parenthood has the technology and created something to what they said, reach people where they are so that young people, listen to this, can ask Roo their burning questions about their health, their body, their relationships, and getting care at Planned Parenthood. They choose from a list of questions, get the answers they need within seconds, day, or nights. It is designed for 13 to 17 year olds and it can be used by anyone who has genuine questions about sexual and reproductive health. And it was built in such a way where you can, as a 13 to 17 year old, get these type of answers from Rue, this friendly robot represented from Planned Parenthood and get your answers from them instead of going face to face with your parents, with your church, with others. That's a scary thing. Jeff Mingi, writing a future book on exercising dominion in a digital world, says this about something as harmless as constant scrolling and streaming to social, me social media, to internet surfing, said this about this. You're scrolling, it's not neutral. You are becoming something. Your search history, it tells a story about your soul. Careless scrolling often exposes our folly and it breeds discontentment. The parade of spectacles never end. We can fast forward, skip ahead, go back and examine specifics. You can watch in high def what you were never meant to see in the first place. And your search history tells a story about your soul. The restless, the restless scrolling soul constantly asks, am I entertained? Am I liked? Am I amused? While the heaven-bound soul created in the image of God that should ask, am I holy? Am I loved by God? Am I satisfied in him? Stop scrolling, start beholding because the scrolling soul will only find true satisfaction in Jesus Christ.
Sin has affected us and how we view and treat others. From technology to authority and freedom and work. But again, church, there's hope. There's hope. We have and receive redemption of Imago Dei through the gospel of Jesus. And listen, when we receive that, when we confess, repent of our sin, because we hear the gospel message, which is that Jesus Christ, out of his great love, came, lived human perfect life, took our place. And what we should receive is the consequence of sin being death. And he took our place by dying our death, taking our sin upon himself on the cross, rising from the grave, proving and showing that he is God. And only God can be able to do that defeating sin, Satan, and death, and then offering as a free gift of His grace out to us new life in Him, redemption, reconciled back to God, and again, a new view and a new living and all these things when we repent of our sin and have saving faith in Christ, in faith of what He did in the cross and the resurrection to save us and reconcile us to God. That right there, it reforms corrects our view and our lives concerning work, freedom, and technology. Two verses from last week we'll bring up again. Colossians 3.10. Remember, when we have put on the new self because of becoming Christians, being saved, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 3.18 and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And sanctification, we are becoming more and more of what that original image, that beautiful picture we said in the beginning, before Genesis 3. Christ helps us. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But he helps us view, become, and treat others in this way. And so through sanctification, we are becoming more like that image. And this means that Jesus has redeemed that image morally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, and physically. And I can't but help to think, we don't have time to get into this right now, but a beautiful book in the Bible, and it's so short, to show what redeemed work, freedom, and authority looks like. When you have Christ, you can view and then treat all these things differently, is Philemon. It's only one chapter long where the Apostle Paul, under house arrest in Rome, writes a letter to his friend Philemon. It's the third shortest book in the Bible. Philemon, a wealthy Christian who hosted a house church in Coloss, had likely converted to Christ years earlier through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And after telling Philemon how grateful he is for him and what he prays for him, Paul brings up a name from Philemon's past, Onesimus. Onesimus was an unbelieving bondservant who had most likely ran away from Philemon's household and stole from him in the process. And in the sweet sovereignty of God, Onesimus crossed paths with the imprisoned apostle a thousand miles away in Rome. And Paul led Onesimus to Christ, led him to the Lord as his savior. And although Paul viewed Onesimus as a spiritual son, it says in this book, and his ministry was helped while in prison because of it, he knew it was best for Onesimus and Philemon to be together again, to be reconciled and for Onesimus to be working for Philemon again. 
And so Paul saw the reunion of Philemon and Onesimus as an opportunity for both men to provide the church and the world with a living parable of not only gospel reconciliation and forgiveness, but a redeemed view of Imago Dei and work, freedom, and authority. Again, a beautiful, beautiful book that shows this. That Jesus truly does redeem how we view and live out redeemed work and authority and freedom in the toughest of situations. Even now, with as many who compare and question our freedom and authority in our country, at our workplaces with mandates and questioning motives, we can respond in biblical ways. These things can be made beautiful again in the gospel, how they work in light of the gospel. And so... We conclude and ask, what is different about them? I'm going to go very quickly through this as I intentionally want to point out the original. I want to uh, intentionally point out the original image and brokenness in these areas. And so you will have more time in community group to discuss the application of Jesus redeeming these things. But I do want to leave you with a couple quick points of each one. What does a redeemed view of freedom in Christ look like? A redeemed view of freedom in Christ. Art Lindsley, who wrote a book on this, but then also has written several articles on the image of God and the dignity of work, said that freedom begins as inner freedom from bondage to sin and our redemption through Jesus Christ. And it leads us to desire outer freedom for ourselves and others. That means that inner freedom, it bears outer implications. Redemption in that way, it should drive us to desire that for all people, both internal and and outwardly. And that does mean that Christians should be on the forefront of freedom movements and are called to fight against injustice whenever we see it in personal and public life, which we'll get to more next week. But quickly, I want to read a couple things of what Art Lindsley says about freedom. First, freedom is not autonomy or doing whatever you feel like doing without any constraints. In fact, following Christ's commands, it should free you to be more of the person that God created you to be. Freedom is also within the context of law. We're not under the obedience to the law as a condition of salvation, but the moral law and Christ's commands give us a guide to know how to live and to love. And we are truly free when we know the truth about ourselves and the world. And this means throwing off lies and deception to which we are so often captive. Salvation is not primarily political liberation, as in some theologies, but God often intervened when his people were oppressed by unjust, totalitarian leaders. You see Exodus, you see judges, for example, in these ways. Inner renewal, it will often lead to outer consequences and renewal of the land. Not in the Old Testament Israel land type of way, but to be able to redeem in those ways. The Bible, it doesn't prescribe one type of government, but freedom, political, economic, and religious, it's consistent with the Bible, not contradictory to it. Last, and again, all this is gonna be given by community group leaders and discussed a little bit more. Inner freedom inevitably drives toward outer freedom. You can have political, economic, and religious freedom and still be in bondage to sin. And you can have inner freedom in an oppressed situation. But inner and outer freedoms are the most ideal state for human beings. And listen, religious freedom, 
It is affected by physical freedom. Therefore, physical freedom should be championed and is most ideal for the gospel to go forth. But it is not always God's will for every country and nation to have this. And if you don't think that's true, you don't read the Bible. You don't. God has in his sovereignty allowed, raised up oppressive totalitarian governments for his purpose. We should champion and fight for physical freedom, but it's not always God's will. And on that note, there are dangers for us as Western American Christians to do one things, one of two things. There's a danger of idolizing physical freedom. There is, but there's also a danger of not caring enough about physical freedom. It's funny because I hear from both type of international Christians, both views of America and the Western Christian church of that. I hear many international missionaries that question and wonder how we can idolize our physical freedom so much. Do you not know that the church is not dependent on the Constitution? Many IMB missionaries that wonder and question, how do you guys want to be represented more for this than your faith and witness in Christ? And to the other degree, where we don't care enough about physical freedom, I know many Christians, international Christians in the country that question and wonder why we don't care enough about this where they have left countries, oppressive countries for this freedom and wonder why we don't see the slippery slope in certain ways and question and, and wonder how we don't react more, speak up more in those ways. Again, that's going to be different for every single person. But we have to question wonder, where are we balanced in these things and being careful of both and desiring both? Last two. A redeemed view of work and vocation. This means that we should be in our work fruitful and faithful. That we have a right identity concerning our jobs. We're not dependent and not known for this beyond our witness and relationship with the Lord and family and marriage right after. That we have a countercultural ethics and witness in those jobs. That we will work hard to the glory of God, but then also Sabbath and rest as God did exemplified and has commanded us to do. We are to Sabbath, but we are to work hard. That we are to give glory to the Lord and that God will use that work for mission. Part of your job, maybe as much as you hate it, as much as you love it, is to send you. It's a missional outpost for you as a missionary for Jesus. And last of all, a redeemed view of technology. That technology should be in moderation. There should be times that you Sabbath from it, that you fast from it. It shouldn't consume you. And it has consumed many. That you should not replace personal relationships and community for it. We need that. Screen should not be replacing what should be face-to-face -face and community in the church that it should be used for creativity and quality content. So I had mentioned the, the thing about scrolling. I realized as we have all this information just in our pocket, how easily I can just 
How many of you guys have gone on like the dark trails on Wikipedia? You've Googled something. It's like, oh, all of a sudden, like two hours later, you're like on this like rabbit trail of a billion different things. And I do it all the time. And I've realized how much I need quality content, not just a billion different things. It's used for creativity and it can be used greatly for mission. I end with this. If you're out here and you're thinking, man, I have no purpose in work. It's mundane. Or maybe to the other side, it's become an idol. Or if I feel that technology in a certain way, it has killed my soul. It's caused me to dehumanize others that I can't change because I don't have something more to live for or care about. If you feel hopeless and rebellious against almost all authority, or you've made an idol out of authority, power, or freedoms, that you cannot be content no matter the circumstances in Christ. Listen, church, only a new mind, a new heart, a new life, a new image can change such sinful mindsets, such lives affected by such things. Only when Christ comes into your heart and life and truly reigns. You may be a Christian, but listen, he is not king right now. He is not lording over your life. Only he can restore rightful dominion over your life and how to work and live in these areas. With true purpose, being content in freedom and trust in perfect, protective, loving authority of him. With the right identity and true life-giving relationships that all comes with new life and identity in Jesus Christ. And I ask as we end, will you let him change you to change your view and life on dominion that he has called and need to do? Will you bow your heads? Will you close your eyes? Everybody's eyes closed, heads bow down. Band's going to come up and we're going to sing one more song. But before we do, I do want to ask one, two quick things. One, if you're in here and you're a Christian and you'd say, I need the right view and I need the right life with these areas again. Again, you are a Christian. You know you have a relationship with Christ. But you'd say, I need the right view and I need to live the right way concerning my work, concerning technology, or concerning freedom and authority. And if that's you, Okay, with nobody looking, everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed down. Will you just confess that to the Lord real quick right now? In a moment, you're going to spend some time with them talking to him about that. That is you, just between me, you, and the Lord. Will you just raise your hand up? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. In a moment here, will you talk to the Lord? If that is repentance, obey that. If that is a reminder, just do that with him. And if, in your, if you're in here, and you need to be redeemed by Christ. This felt heavy on your heart, your soul, and your life. And you were feeling a lot of what the sin and fall has caused. And your view and your life and work and, and freedom and authority and in technology. Because you have never given your life to Christ to live and view it this way. And you need that new life and identity. And for the very first time, you need to truly accept them as your Lord and Savior. That as Chris had said, that former actor and musician never expected to raise his hand, but there he was, and now that's you. And if you're in here and you've never accepted Christ and you've known God has revealed that through these areas, you are not doing and living what he has created you to do and be. 
that you need Christ, that sin is in the way of that, and you want to give him your life to forgive you and save you from that sin and to live for him by what he did on the cross and then in the resurrection, and you need to repent of your sin and have saving faith in him right now. Can everybody's eyes close, heads bowed down, if you've never done that, but he's wanting to save you today, will you raise up your hand real quick so I can pray for you and lead you on how to do that? Again, if that's you, you've never done that, and you need to do that, just raise up your hand real quick. Okay. In a moment here, again, we're going to sing, we're going to celebrate and dismiss. But I want to give you a few moments to spend some time with the Lord so that you can speak to Him, commit to Him, in light of what He was saying to you about work, about technology, about freedom of authority, as Christians, what certain steps you need to take, in this area. Go ahead and pray and I'll close. We thank you, Lord, for showing us that you have created us originally to advance society, the world, bring good fruit and work. That this affects everything from our views on, again, authority and, and freedom to how we use technology and has sin, as much as sin has distorted, twisted, and ruined that for us, has caused great harm of our view of selves or our treatment of others because of the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have redeemed it. Now we can be who you created us to be, more still imperfect, but likeness of the image. And that that is a beautiful thing that people want to embrace, that want to be a part of, that need for themselves. And so as we do this according to your word and will, Lord, we will make beautiful things that people will join. We thank you, Lord. And we give you the praise and worship right now for blessing us in such ways. In your name, Jesus. Amen.